0: soon as I saw an image of the, of the black Madonna, my entire biology changed. Like I took a deep exhale, like my gut, which is always tense, just completely relaxed. My shoulders dropped. My like jaw became unclenched. And I just felt like a wave of joy, like soothing joy. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Everything I'm feeling right now is affirmed in this very image. All my questions, all my frustrations, my story. Oh my gosh, I can, I actually am, I see myself in her. I am sacred too.
1: Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In
2: this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on earth. I'm
1: Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers. To navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
2: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Shayna and I had the privilege today of interviewing a really cool woman. A woman who I found on Instagram actually, I've always had a little obsession with black Madonnas. They've symbolized so much to me and our Global Sisterhood feed, these pictures of these glorious black Madonnas of all different eras and all different artists were emerging on our feed and the only caption was, God is a black woman every time I saw that, I was like, oh, who is this cool woman? And I had no idea that this was all promotion for her upcoming book, God is a Black Woman, which I want to encourage everyone to read. I am halfway through and I just think this is a story that needs to be heard, deeply needs to be heard. And her journey is super powerful and super beautiful. And as we explore the Great Mother and decondition a lot of the patriarchal and dogmatic myths about what God is and who we are, this book is of value to that process for all women, no matter what nationality, race, creed, or background. It's a beautiful book that just helps us put the pieces together together of what the great mother is, who she is, and that she lives within us. And Christina, her journey, there are parts of her book and parts of her story that have made me weep and have made me laugh. And this interview was amazing. So I really look forward to you hearing from her directly. So a little bit about her, Christina Cleveland is a PhD. She's a social psychologist and public theologian author, and activist. She is the founder and director of the Center for Justice and Renewal, as well as its sister organization, Sacred Folk, which creates resources to stimulate people's spiritual imaginations and support their journeys towards liberation. She is an award-winning researcher and former professor at Duke University's Divinity School. She lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and she frequently visits a beautiful Part of France, which we talk about in this podcast. So my loves, get ready for a really great episode. One that I hope leaves you touched and also propels you to go buy her book, which by the way, this is just coming from the love in our heart. We are not being paid for this promotion. We just believe in this message and this woman's work. So we want to support her. So listen to this podcast let us know what you think by leaving a review if you have yet to leave us a review please do so your feedback really helps us we love it when we see your reviews we love reading them especially when you write them about the different guests we like to take screenshots and send them to our guests so we adore your reviews and receiving five stars from you thank you thank you for your encouragement thank you for being here and let's get to our show today Hi, hi. Welcome, welcome, Christina Cleveland. It is such an honor to have you on this podcast. Shayna and I are beaming. We're so excited. Welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So your book is beautiful, and I haven't finished it all the way, but I've recommended it to many people, including women in our facilitator program already. Um The story that you tell is near and dear to my heart, and I'm not a black woman, clearly, I and but I am a woman who's been unpacking this world, trying to make sense of things, make sense of why I felt the way I felt, and the perspective you bring as a black woman unpacking the white male God is so powerful and so beautiful. And I want to say thank you for your work. And also, I just want to... I want to talk a little bit about your journey and a little bit of your background and and what led you to search for God as a Black woman, the Great Mother.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to connect now more with this work and this book with connect more with women who, like you all, have been gathering around this idea of the divine feminine because I wasn't as connected to that work um, up until about five years ago. And I think part of this is just the truth that in particularly like Western society, you can only be black or female. You can't be both. And so as a black woman, I always felt like I have to choose. Do I want to join the racial justice or I do not want to join the feminist groups, but the racial justice groups were often like misogynistic and really male dominated. And then the feminist groups were like super anti-black and most feminists don't really understand how to, in, how to practice intersectional feminine, feminism or don't want to because <laughs> it'll cost too much. And so it's nice to finally um, consider the intersectionality of the great mother um, and how that's inherent and in who she is. And we can't really have fruitful conversations without looking at gender and race and some of these other things. So yeah, my journey was really start, was starting like with awakening first to the problem of white gods not really looking at gender yet because I was in a lot of racial justice spaces and I was starting to make this connection, particularly in the Christian context, which is sort of everywhere in the United States too, whether you walk into churches or not, it's like very Christian in our society. I was noticing how people were responding to the black lives matter movement, people who claim to love Jesus, people who claim to care about their spiritual journeys and then, you know, white folks, and then just completely obliterating black Stories and lives, and just not being able to lean into that conversation. When I mean, in the you know, 2012, when Trayvon Martin was killed, on into like Mike Brown, this this was like a national conversation happening in the United States, you know. And so, just seeing how people refuse to participate in it and were really just circling the wagons around their white God, I was like, oh my gosh, we have a problem with the race of God. Like this is like mm-hmm. they literally have a theological imagination that does not allow them to see my sacredness as a black person. That's not possible. And so I was you know, kind of on that, <laughs> on that train for a long time, like talking about the problem of white God. And I had a really, I mean, I was always a woman and I was always leaning into like feminist theology and my work and stuff. But again, I felt like I had to put that on the back burner because I just couldn't be my whole self in a lot of these spaces. But it was really like the run up to Trump's election that like made me realize how much I have to care about the toxic masculinity of God too, <laughs> of the American God. Right. Because leading up to like Trump's election, of course he was saying, you know, racist and xenophobic things and Christians were just, you know, explaining them away. And and I was like, okay, of course, like I know from personal experience doing this work in like religious spaces in the United States, like these people are racist, of course they're not gonna have a problem with a racist presidential candidate, but, The fall of 2016, when it came out that he had been like bragging about sexually assaulting white women, I was like, okay, finally, these folks are going to wake up and care because white women are like so precious to like Americans, you know? (laughs) And white femininity is like idol, you know, this like precious jewel that people will protect at all costs. I mean, that's why so many black men have been lynched. It's because of people protecting white femininity from some threat, you know, that's in their head. And so when I saw that Trump got away with bragging about assaulting white women, that's when I really had this, like, encounter with white male God. Like, he was Mm -hmm. in my face taunting me, like, doesn't matter if you're Black, doesn't matter if you are a woman, I'm coming for you, and you are not protected, Mm -hmm. and you are not safe in this world. And so I had to then really rethink not just the race of God, which I'd done so much work around and really start looking at gender. Like why is this God exclusively male and why do people freak out when you just start to poke questions? <laughs> Literally like freak out. Like when I first started just musing about this in my like, in that, back in that time, I was kind of a mascot in the Christian world. I was on all these big stages and propped up as like a voice for justice and all these things. It was very exploitative but i was in all, so i was in all these spaces and I, you know I was, I was someone who had they had been quote listening to end quote up until this point and then all of a sudden i'm like huh we have a problem talk this guy's toxic <laughs> and and it's a toxic masculinity and then all of a sudden it's like you're a witch you're a sheep in wolf mm-hmm. clothing you know we're and i all of a sudden it's like all my speaking engagements dry up all my invitations dry up no people are like are like excommunicating me, you know? And it's like, huh? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I share in my book how, you know, the a black female God sort of hits on a lot of the taboos of our spiritual imagination in, in the West because blackness is seen as lazy and unreliable and dirty. And femininity or femaleness, although they don't always have to go hand in hand, but femaleness is seen as, deceptive, weak, morally weak, untrustworthy. And so when you have those two coming together in the body of, of a divine one, people just freak out. And they're like, that's just like, like white male God, come save us and kill, kill whatever it is that this person is trying to present to us. And yeah, it fit me on this journey. Cause I was like, this ain't right. I don't feel safe. The, the, the all the people who, claimed who have loved me I mean I ha- had this awakening around race you know where it's like man y'all don't love me y'all don't even know how to love me y'all don't have the capacity that spiritual imagination to love me so I did kind of a cleansing of friends there um, mostly white friends but then it was interesting to kind of integrate and in, in bring in this intersectional view of gender and race and then just see even more people who just couldn't couldn't be open to the ambiguity of it which says so much about like the white patriarchal way of thinking about religion. Everything has to be certain.
1: And faithfulness Mm -hmm.
0: means faithfulness means believing the same thing and sticking to Mm -hmm. it. Even in, even when other evidence is presented and other perspectives are presented, like that's what it means to be a good person is to just keep quoting the same things over and over again. And so it's like, people couldn't even, and of course, they couldn't trust me as a black woman enough to actually lead them into uncertain waters. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, we got to do something else.
2: <laughs> I just can't imagine that journey because I've, as a white woman, just being a woman, have you know s- seen and felt and experienced so much that just trying to to express got me cast out. Like I have experienced a version of that, but both, both of those stereotypes. Mm. I, I imagine that process of growing up in this Christian church and growing up and going on this path of studying theology, that it was really hurtful. And, and I can just, I just can imagine that the pain of that, the isolation of that seeing and feeling something that was ignored. I just mm. want to honor you for
0: having persevered through that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's the the most painful thing I've ever experienced, you know, like that um, shunning, that severing of relationships. Sometimes I severed the relationship because it was just sort of irreparably toxic and so governed by white patriarchy and part of it too was me realizing that i was participating in some of those and i needed to like it wasn't just everyone else is toxic you know what i mean but some of my own white patriarchal impulses were also contributing to some of these relationships and keeping me there and so you know but it, it's 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 a complete like i mean as as you know in your own stories it's just a complete like blowing up of your life and i kept returning to harriet tubman when i was on this journey because I think, you know, like, for me, the metaphor, especially as a black woman, but I think it applies, I think it can apply cross culturally, like, you know, the metaphor of leaving the plantation, like, there's a reason why people don't leave the plantation, it's really, really, really scary, and really, really, really hard. And everything you know, just falls away and you don't know if you're gonna, you don't know what to expect next. You don't know if you're gonna be able to navigate your way, like just physically and geographically. You don't know if you have any transferable skills. You don't know if you're gonna be able to speak the language. You're literally walking, it's like, it's like I'm gonna go move to Mars and just try to survive there in a, in an entirely different civilization an entirely different ecosystem. And so I kept rem, I kept thinking about Harriet Tubman and it's like, gosh, you know, what ha- what was that period of time between when she woke up one day and was like, I'm too sacred for this. I've been taught my whole life that my best life is on this plantation and somehow I'm too sacred for this and I, I want to leave. Right. So that moment. But then what's the what happened between that moment and when she actually left? Like, how did she get the gumption and the courage and the wisdom to actually step off into the unknown? Because it's one thing to like be in a community and be like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like, I disagree with that. I don't feel, you know, and then it's a whole nother thing to actually take the step off the cliff and just see, am I going to even survive this? And I think there's a reason why a lot of people don't take that step. It's really, really, really scary. And you have to leave people behind, people that you love, people that you're connected to, attached Mm -hmm. to. And the first big church that I left around these reasons, I call it in my book, um, The Little Plantation on the Prairie Church, because it was in Minnesota, where if you're American and you've read the Laura Wilder, Laura Ingalls Wilder books, Little House on the Plantation, um, they're set in Minnesota. And so um, when I left that church, like I cried for like five days straight, like harder than any breakup I've ever gone through, including the end of my marriage. You know, like I've never experienced anything more painful because spiritual communities, in the U S are so all consuming your whole life is wrapped up in them. So you've lost your friends, you've lost your neighbors, you've lost your income, you've lost your, you, you you're concerned that maybe you lost your salvation, you know, (laughs) like just things like that. (laughs) And it's like, you, yeah, you've lost everything. And so it is a lot like leaving a plantation where it's like fresh start Mm -hmm. completely. And I don't know if this world's going to be less hostile to me than the world that I left. I don't, I don't have any promise of that.
1: Right. I I respect mm-hmm. you so much because I know from my own personal journey that the leaving and stepping out into something that is foreign, unknown, that you're not quite sure what you're stepping onto, right? Like as you just spoke about, it's like it's unclear what this next chapter has to unfold. So I'm curious, like what is that for you, this deep connection, this deep inner senses, inner knowing that you've been listening to and relying upon to be able to have
0: the willingness and the trust to do it. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I mean, as soon as I decided like I'm too sacred for this, right? Like around Trump's election, I was just like, I'm done trying to to make change in this space. Like every part of me is this is deplorable in this space and so i i can't be here anymore i started looking for images of god that are black and female as a protestant you know i had maybe like heard of the black Madonna, but definitely hadn't really done any like hadn't had a real encounter and i just remember ordering some books and from walking to my mailbox which was like you know like a 15, 15, 20 second walk to my door, I started opening the books and flipping through them. And as soon as I saw an image of the, of the black Madonna, my entire biology changed. Like I took a deep exhale, like my gut, which is always tense, just completely relaxed. My shoulders dropped. My like jaw became unclenched. And I just felt like a wave of joy like soothing joy and I was like oh my gosh everything I'm feeling right now is affirmed in this very image all my questions all my frustrations my story oh my gosh I can I actually am I see myself in her I am sacred too And I just like the transformation. I mean, I became a devotee in like five seconds. Like I hadn't read anything. I hadn't like learned of the history. I didn't even know she was connected to like Isis and all these like super powerful goddesses. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was just like, just the image. I was like, what? And she's called La Negrita and she's called La Morena. And she's like, you know, like she's the slave mama. And she's, I was just like, I cannot, like how did I not know? how did I not know? Like I saw all these white Jesuses. How did I not know that she's here? And so I just started, I mean, it was very difficult because I had so much trauma. I mean, I don't want to downplay I did like two, two or three years of intensive trauma therapy. Uh, part of that included taking time off work to do like, ex, like four or five sessions a week. I did tons of mindfulness meditation. I did tons of contemplative walking. I did tons of yoga for trauma because I had so much so much of my heart and my head needed to be reconnected it had been severed by white patriarchy so I won't say that like all of a sudden I was just like woohoo I'm connected to this like abundant like source but certainly it was like this like growth towards her until I I mean I I would when I had questions like it, am I going to be safe like, can I trust? Because, you know, it's like once you leave, there's always all these reasons to come back. Like, white male you know, God's always putting carrots out there. It's like, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to make money. Oh, these people are inviting me to come speak, and they don't seem to know that I'm kind of witchy now. So I could just go speak there and like, make some money, you know? <laughs> so you always have these like opportunities to pr- go back into the plantation. Um, and every time I had that opportunity, I would just, look at these images, at that point, I had not gone on my pilgrimage, so I would just look, I would open up these books and just be like, okay, if I really believe that God is a black woman, then I can trust that she has my back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If I really believe that God is a black woman, I, I can trust that she understands my complex moral dilemmas. I can trust that she does not want me to have to go back to the plantation in order to have food tonight. I don't know how but somehow she's going to make a way out of no way. And so I just kept inviting myself into that practice of what I'd call devotion or faith, you know, like, how can I make it so my my behaviors actually match up with what I think, with what I claim to believe. Um, and so I just kept at every opportunity to leave a plantation or to not return to a plantation, I would just turn towards her. And I had, um, yeah, it's, it's here in my house, I have this like, like 200-year-old oil painting of the Black Madonna of Poland that's like super crackled and busted. And oftentimes I would literally just put my hand on her body, her like crackled, beaten down body and be like, if you've made it this far, you can carry me to the next. So even just like visceral, and that's before I, of course, went on my 400-mile walking pilgrimage <laughs> and actually got to encounter all these Black Madonnas in person. But even but even before then, my connection was like very physical, because hmm. I needed that. It's almost like I I mean, and I grew up in like a, I was super undermothered as a child, just growing up in a really patriarchal family. And then of course I'm like super undermothered in our society that hates women and hates nurturing. Um, so I think part of it was just a connection to I needed that like physical connection to a mother, kind of like a scared little toddler. You know, it's like okay, you got me, right? You got me. I'm I'm gonna try this new thing, but you got me. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. I think everyone needs that. I think yeah. absolutely everyone needs her. Her in our lives and you being an academic and also within the Christian theologian community as well, you know? Like that those two are like some of the most patriarchal institutions. Academia is is very like that. And so it's so toxic, so the, white patriarchal. The,
0: yeah. The
2: journey of, that you went through of connecting your head to your heart and becoming more embodied in a sense of visceral trust of the mother and the feminine of yourself, really, because she's in you. She's mm-hmm. guiding you. She's breathing in you, giving you life and sustenance. That journey seems so important for every single person, white, black, everybody in between, male, female, everybody in between. That feels like the journey and it's really important work that you're pioneering Mm -hmm. and that kind of liminal space of I have no idea what's going to happen or where I'm going or if this is even going to work that's what cultivates that trust you know and so it's really so beautiful to hear your story Mm -hmm. and I'm also pretty obsessed with the black madonnas (laughs) Uh, i haven't gone as deep as you but i have a black madonna right in front of my bed so when i wake Mm -hmm. up i see her and for me it was a different symbolism because i haven't had the racial trauma of having black skin um For me, it was this feeling that I was impure because I couldn't Mm -hmm. be this chaste virgin, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was this, Mm -hmm. like, the only Mm -hmm. exalted woman in Christianity was Mm -hmm. chaste and pure. And Mm -hmm. I just wasn't that. I had all sorts of trauma and had done all sorts of things and carried shame. Mm -hmm. And the Black Madonna was my liberation in many ways of, like, oh, this this stain that, like, you know, I, really it is a white patriarchal myth, right? Mm-hmm. But I saw her as, mm-hmm. like, oh, like, I can have that sacredness even though the, I've been beat down. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's really interesting how she mm-hmm. how she speaks to
0: us. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I feel like, you know, the Black Madonnas, they just all have these, like, really powerful stories. And we can all I, – what I love about the Black Madonnas, we can all find ourselves in her body in some way, you know, whether it's the purity route, or whether it's, you know, like, I love how the, the Black Madonna of Vichy was literally, her, her head was severed from her body during the French Revolution, and the people pieced her back together. So she gets that body, mind severance, and what it means to come to heal from that. And then I love how, like, the black Madonna of St. Gervais was like stolen and then sold multiple times. And then she, but she found her way home. And so like, she understands what it's like to be in prison, stolen, lost. Like, you know, there's just so many of these like really beautiful ways that we can connect and there's room for everyone. Like there's really a pathway Mm -hmm. for everyone to the black Madonna. Everyone. You have a, you
2: have a chapter in your book called, encountering she whose thick thighs save lives and I just want to say yes hallelujah (laughs) hallelujah hallelujah yeah could you could you speak a little bit more specifically about the body journey just sure that you've been on with that yeah
0: yeah so why no god like really did a number on me with my body as a black woman and you know people usually talk about um white women, particularly middle-class and upper-class white women being like most at risk for eating disorders. Now there's more research coming out that shows that eating disorders are prevalent across all races and all genders. Um, But I, you know, I was really taught that I, I, part of my purity journey um, was also that you have to look beautiful to the white male gaze which was basically just the white male God gaze and beauty and purity were really beauty as in thinness, (laughs) white, white patriarchal standards of beauty and purity were, were really intertwined in my home and in my religious community. And so I was, I was under a lot of pressure to be thin And we even started fasting and praying for our future spouses when I was five. So I learned how to starve myself and then binge at a very, very, very early age, all in the service of being pure enough and good enough and beautiful enough for God to want to give me a good thing, which was marriage, which was then just the male gaze. And of course, heterosexual marriage was the only option. And I mean, there were a lot of assumptions being made in the midst of all of this. And so, you know, I really wrestled with eating disorders for like 30 years. I mean it was like it was like the thing that I could not fix huge swings in weight, huge binges, huge p- periods of like extreme starvation, what I which I called fasting because I was trying to couch it in terms that seemed religious and spiritual, but and just misery, like just misery about my body, like no matter what size I was, just feeling always feeling like there was something wrong with me, and by by wrong, I mean both ugly and impure and not good enough for God's good gift of marriage. And that was powerful because I'm definitely one of those people who's good at beating things in life, you know? Like, I, I excel in most everything I try to do. But this was the one thing that sort of just, like, brought me to my knees of desperation. Like, I've tried everything. I've tried all the diets. I've tried all the programs. I've tried self control da da-da-da-da-da. For whatever reason, I just keep coming back to this, like, really toxic relationship with food and exercise. And it really wasn't until I encountered – the Black Madonna, the sacred Black feminine, you know, that I was finally able to surrender and release all that I was holding about around food and body. Because I, I hadn't thought of it, but really, I was like trying to like you know pray for healing and you know get help from this God that actually like was the cause of all these problems and hates my black female body and actually loved that I was caught in this shame spiral that just sort that just sent me on this like dizzying path. And so um, I just remember like in my recovery program, just saying, like finally getting the freedom to name the God that I need, which felt so like scary, maybe even like illegal, <laughs> because in my context, you know, God, I was told who God was. And if I had any questions about that, I would be punished, you know? And so, but I just realized, actually, if I'm going to like even think about inviting a higher power, a God, a divine being into this like horrific, problem that i have this horrific pain that i have it has to be somebody who can relate to my black female body and that was a huge impetus for naming the god that i need and a god who who's represented by all my bodies like i don't have to look a certain way i don't have to be a certain size I don't have to have a certain relationship with food for her to dwell within me and for me to dwell within her and represent her. And um, so, yeah, that's how I sort of came up with the idea with, um, with God as a Black woman really informing my food and exercise behaviors. Um, and then, of course, on my pilgrimage, I got to go visit the Black Madonna of Mund, France. Um, and she's called Our Lady of the Fountain, but I nickname her She Who Six Eyes Save Lives because she was famous in the area for have, having the, her, there's a fountain, like that comes really right out of her loins. It was the best water in town. And so people, especially poor people who needed good water, which was rare in that time, especially if you're sick, like you need to make sure you're getting good water. Um, they would come to her and drink from her loins. These like super thick, I mean, she's this I mean, the black Madonnas have like so many different body sizes and some of them are tiny and some of them are larger. But she just has these like super solid thick thighs. And there's literally just like a water spout coming out, like an antique water spout coming out. And I was just like when I saw her, I was like, wow, like you get it. You absolutely get it. And, and above her is this like slur. Actually, there's like a Renaissance painting above her head. That's the um, interpretation of Song of Solomon in the Bible. I am Black, but I am beautiful. It's in um, Latin above her. And just to be able to see like, wow, that's what I was told all the time. You're really pretty for a Black girl. Like your Blackness is an impediment to your beauty. And to see that that slur has been painted over her head for hundreds of years. And then to say, I literally had a conversation with her. I was like, they said that about you too? Oh my gosh. And to see the defiance in her face where she's just like, whatever, I don't care. But I know it's true. I am black and I am beautiful. Drink from my waters because you are black and you are beautiful. And this is what's going to heal you is my, my voice, my body. I get it. I'm weathered. I've been under this thing too, but I'm just giving it side eye basically because I know the truth. And I'm mean, going to offer you the truth. Drink from my waters. Just drink from my waters. And so, like, these encounters are just so powerful. Um, yeah, she's dope. I, I want to go back and see her soon.
1: <laughs> I love this so much. And, and what I hear throughout this whole conversation is really this, this, like, linear way of thinking. You know, like, at some point in time, things just got put in a box. Like, it has to look this way. You have to do it in these following steps. And therefore, you can be holy. You know, our puritanical culture in the United States is like the height of this, like put it in a box and this is what it's supposed to look like. And therefore you can reach Mm -hmm. salvation. And I, you know, was raised Jewish, so I had a completely different understanding of Christ. I felt like I was inherently sinful just because Mm -hmm. I was not, you know, a Mm -hmm. believer and follower Mm -hmm. of Christ, and i have found resonance with christ consciousness through the divine mother mm. through you know the the image of the mother who is all encompassing and all loving and like finding my place within christianity from that context of the mother that's how that was kind of my gateway to christ consciousness in general and so it's interesting like how really these stories are impacting all of us And this linear way of thinking, regardless if you're a Christian, not a Christian, white, male, black, female, like there's so much programming that keeps all of us small, all of us sinful, all of us wrong. And I feel like the mother offers us grace. No matter who you are, what color, what religion, what background, she is the caretaker and the earth and the lover of all. Mm. And so I, I love that you are stepping out into the world with this, this completely um, boundary pushing, beautiful example of the mother. Mm you know, and, and I just am grateful for this work because you are a pioneer. You are like leading the charge in a way of love of, and of this new understanding. And what I'm curious about is how it's being received in the black community. And I wanted to add too, because as we talk about, you know, the feminine and the feminine principles of God and the mother, we trigger women right, of all colors. And just because of the stories that they've been told in this linear mindset that it can't be anything else than the book. And so, you know, I'm curious about in the black community, if you found that to be true as well, and, and kind of what the journey is for, for different yeah. women, as they begin to hear. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's such a good, that's such a great question. I'd say it's mixed. I intentionally wrote the book to center black black women and black people, you know, and that was always like sort of a conversation with my publishing company, because of course, you know, white women are interested in the black Madonna, but I wanted there to finally be a book that really invites black women to the conversation, because most of the black Madonna books written by white women are, they were very hard for me to like feel invited into as a black woman primarily because a lot of white women don't talk about no white women that I know of really talk about the black Madonna's black body (laughs) and what that means. And so, yeah, so I really wanted to make this book like intentionally centering black women and it's been interesting. So I'd say there's a huge like wonderful positive response where people are like saying things like, you know, one guy wrote recently to me, I haven't read the whole book yet, but you ooh, freedom in a way that makes me want to pay the price to get some for myself, you know? So I definitely, um, whether people can, are connecting to the Black Madonna specifically or they're connecting to just my liberation journey and how the Black Madonna was a conduit for that and like held me through that, you know, there's a lot of, I think, inspiration as people are starting to see themselves in my journey. So there's that on the one hand. Right? A lot of that is from people who are either post-Christian or relatively unchurched Black folks. I have found that um, the two groups that I've gotten the most vitriol from are white men, which is predictable and actually churched black women, because I am inviting something that feels taboo to them. And they're very defensive and they're very protective of the beliefs that they have inherited. And I don't think that they like hate the idea of God as a black woman. I think they more so just feel like faithfulness means to keep believing what I've always been taught and so you're kind of in trying to introduce something that's just not true because I know what's true I've been told what's true and so they're like the the, the skills and the support for curiosity and openness are just not something that's that they've inherited through the black patriarchal church and so that's been interesting at first it was really painful now I kind of understand it and so I'm able to offer compassion but you know it's hard when like people who, you know, I used to run, you know, women of color retreats that were predominantly black women and they would come to these retreats, hundreds of people. And so to see those folks kind of like participating in the same vitriol that like the white men do, that is, it, it felt it felt painful at first, very painful. Yeah. It says a lot about internalized, internalized massage noir, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's why, you know, the equal rights amendment and that whole movement, Lots to say there, but white women were hugely against it. Like a lot of white women were hugely against it, and I know that black bodies and black women weren't included so much in that movement. So that's a whole other conversation. It wasn't intersectional at all. They didn't want to take that on as a burden. Um, try to convince white men and have that racial conversation as well. So I know that that was a, a something that a lot of a lot of women regret that I've heard mm-hmm. actually yeah. about that whole movement. So it's it's really what seems to be happening now is that the movement is like the next wave of feminism is it's a spiritual reclamation Mm -hmm. and it's almost, I see that in this spiritual reclamation, we're reclaiming the feminine aspect of God. We're reclaiming that the goddess has many aspects. It is intersectional. It is an intersectional spirituality. And so it makes sense that it's, it's shocking and scary because it it requires that we deprogram our own internalized patriarchy and our own internalized wounds and go through the process that you have been through of, you know, walking out and not knowing where she was going to guide you or if your whole life was going to fall apart, because it is a paradigm inside your mind that has to crumble. Mm -hmm. And all of us, women, men, everybody.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I want to name my privilege, too, you know, because I think going back to the Equal Rights Amendment and then also even just the Black women, the church Black women that I just mentioned, like, people have a lot of really good reasons for maintaining the status quo. And a lot of it has to do with perceived resources. And I'm sort of like... um, infinitely employable and i have this like ridiculous resume and i have all sorts of skills that transfer and i'm super entrepreneurial and i don't come from a wealthy family but i do come from a middle middle class black family where worse comes to worse i may be able to rely on folks for support you know and i think a lot of times black women in particular but maybe even women in general back during the equal rights amendment you know like their entire Sense of security is wrapped up in in not stepping out, and so like maintaining harmony in the home, exactly right. I mean, and there could be Mm -hmm. domestic violence issues. There could be so many issues Mm -hmm. at play, and so I think like some of the times you know, black women not only do a lot of church black women like literally not have the tools for spiritual imagination, for like adventurous spiritual imagination, because that's how the patriarchy designed it, but there might also be elements at play where like they almost feel betrayed by me because I've left them in this space where they feel helpless. And they may even have a little bit of jealousy. Like, Oh, I wish I could go with you. I wish I could ask those questions, but I know what will happen if my spouse finds out or if my pastor finds out or Mm -hmm. if my, my boss finds out. Right. And just stuff like that. And of course I had to deal with those things for sure. And also my outlook is just different because of my social location as a sort of upwardly mobile formerly educated black woman with light skin and a body that's more acceptable in the white patriarchal world and just all the, the things that go into that. And so just honoring like, I, one of the things I love about the black Madonna is it's like every step in any direction is a step towards her because she's, she's the whole world and she's got us. And just honoring like where people are in their journey and the fact that it might take time them to get to that point where the I'm too sacred leads to a step, you know, <laughs> and just also hopefully, yeah, I think my work is to still keep talking to those, to those women and trying to like leave little morsels of invitation because I think I, I needed that, you know, there was definitely a lag between, uh, between that time where I was like aware on a level and then ready to go. Um, and a part of the issue is like resource scarcity, right? Like, I think that's what white male God taught me is that there, there's no abundance. And so it took so much work for me to connect with abundance. And that's just someone who has like more access to some forms of abundance already. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to actually, you know, have like real food insecurity. That's not, that has not been my story. And so some of the women that I'm trying to like share this insight with, they do. And yeah, it's a different it's a different level of connecting to abundance. That that's going to be part of their journey. So I want to yeah. talk about your pilgrimage and your
1: stepping into this adventure, this next chapter of your journey. You know, you definitely went through a rite of passage, like leaving your old self behind, entering the liminal space and then, and then going to find the Black Madonna.
0: And so can you share with us like, what that journey <laughs> was like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, in the fall of 2018, decided to go see the Black Madonna. I had been, I had been learning about her, reading about her, becoming devoted to her for almost two years at that point. And finally, I was just like, oh, I, I have to go. And I was still a professor at Duke, so I had some professional development funding. So the Duke actually paid for that trip, which was, um, it's irony, right? Um, but I decided to go on a five-week walking pilgrimage across central France. There's a region of France called the Auvergne that's um, really under, like, like people don't know about it. It's not Paris, it's not Lyon, you know, but um, it's just full of all these magical ancient medieval villages nestled in the mountains. And it's an, it's surrounded by an entire, the, the entire region is like a um, of a chain of about like 14 volcanic mountains. And so it's just this gorgeous, lo- like lovely green and black space because um, of the volcanic rock. Do you just see it everywhere? This black volcanic rock. And so I would, that that area has been like especially devoted to the Black Madonna, basically since pre-Christian days. Like almost all the Black Madonna churches are built on top of pagan sites to either Cybele, Cybele, Di- uh, Diana slash Black Artemis of Ephesus, um, Isis, you name it, right? Demeter. And so this this area has been devoted to the sacred dark feminine forever, forever. And it's a very old part of the country in terms of civilization some of the oldest cities and villages are in that in that area and so there are about 40 different ancient black madonna statues within like a 25 mile radius and so that's why i chose that spot because i was like i'm gonna walk to as many of them as i can (laughs) and so i did and um some days of walking were really joyful and beautiful and like birds were chirping and the sun was out. And then some days were like, I was covered in rain and mud and wasn't sure how I was going to get home that night. And <laughs> just adventure. But yeah, I, um, in in an attempt to reconnect my head with my body and to connect with the earth, a relationship that as a Black woman's been antagonized for so long, um, I wanted to walk, and so I did that. And I visited 18 different Black Madonnas on that initial pilgrimage.
2: That's really beautiful. Thank and you. i <laughs> I look forward to going to France myself. I'm going this this summer on a mm-hmm. on a pilgrimage as well, um, a Mary Magdalene pilgrimage. But oh, I actually yeah, want to yeah, yeah.
0: go the so Southern France. I awesome. want to go,
2: yeah. But I think I might want to try to go here as well. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I wanted to ask you just a more intimate question. And I think we could maybe break down some things about this because we're talking about the the problems of this white male God, which is an incomplete inverted distorted version of God capital G O D with all of the masculine, feminine, beautiful qualities within it. And I want to ask you about that journey. Like, You're in devotion to the black Madonna, the black mother, and she is your portal into all of this healing. Does she ever bring you to encounter anything masculine within God and any more?
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I feel like the more I get connected to the sacred feminine, the more I long for the sacred masculine. Right. Um, and at first, I was just straight up triggered. And if anybody used he, him pronouns around God, <laughs> I would just, like, be like, I rebuke you. <laughs> like, God is not a man, you know. Um, but the more I, I, more I have found myself in her body, the more I have wanted to claim um, space in all parts of her body. And the fact of the matter is, like, the the Black Madonna is, like, wonderfully... Imminent and transcendent at the same time. Like she's got so many just gorgeous, like fiery, truth-telling, linear, goal-directed masculine characteristics while also being like, and my lap is huge and there's no mess too big enough for me and come sit with me, you know, it's like this. And I talk about this um, towards the end of my book and I, I talk about how the Black Madonna is amazing because there's something very unique about the way that black women will love you and call you out at the same time. I literally don't see it in any other race where it's like, you're just, and it's, it's very distinctive about black women because oftentimes, you know, it's like, it's like a love with expectations and you feel a hundred percent love and you also feel that and do better. At the same time and that's so you don't see that in many other cultures that's something and i I feel like the black madonna is very much like that and that do better i think is a big part of that sort of masculine impetus to like let's keep striving let's keep moving let's keep like building right it doesn't that doesn't mean dominating but let's keep building let's keep like um and very intentionally very goal directed (laughs) you know and i just love that and um one of the people that i've learned a ton from on this is matthew fox who's interesting he's this like um he's 81 years old and um this like gay male priest who was excommunicated from the catholic church many 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 years ago but he writes a lot about the sacred masculine and he's like as much in love with the black madonna as i am and he recently shared in his daily email um, a, a, a poem that Leonardo Boff, who's an who's an 80 year old um, Latin American liberation theologian male, but he wrote this gorgeous book that I read that changed my life called The Feminine Face of God. Old, it's like 20 something years old, but it's just it really helped, it really helps me think differently. And he wrote this poem like the week of Christmas and it's super short, I'll say it to you. I just have been saying it over and over to myself and it's about the sacred masculine, right? So it's, every boy wants to be a man. Every man wants to be a king. Every king wants to be God. Only God wanted to be a boy. That's the poem. Mm. Every boy wants to be a man. Every man wants to be a king. Every king wants to be God. Only God wanted to be a boy. And I think Mm. about that and I'm like, that's the sacred masculine, That's the transcendence coming down into eminence with the sacred feminine and bringing all people together and saying it's not about dominance. It's not about whipping yourself into shape. It's about curiosity. It's about exploration. It's about beginner's mind. It's about being together and connection and mutuality and stepping off that pedestal and, ste- and putting away that microphone, <laughs> you know? And so I I feel like it's the Black Madonna who was able to hold space for all my trauma around toxic masculinity and then guide me towards the sacred masculine. And, I, and I'll say too, related to this, nothing has, I don't, I think one of the most three three most important books I've read in the last two years is the Black Trans Prayer book, which just brings it all together. The Sacred Masculine, the Sacred Feminine. I, I mean, I read that book and was thinking, why have I been listening to anybody but Black trans people my whole life? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just the the integration, the beauty, the reclaiming, like this whole thing. Uh. And so that kind of, I think a lot of my work towards the Sacred Feminine has brought me full circle into, and also God's trans and non-binary and good luck defining it. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Good luck you. Good luck with that. (laughs) (sighs) So yeah, it's like, uh, and I'm more passionate about men finding the sacred masculine too, as a route through the sacred feminine, you know? And one, one guy told me, a black man said, to me, you are the Black Madonna because you point me to the sacred Black feminine. And I said, that's exactly what I want to be. I just want to be a person in this world that's pointing people to the sacred Black feminine because then the sacred Black feminine, I know she's got that guy and she'll help him find his sacred mas- Black masculinity too, right? So it's kind of just like, all of you, you know what I mean? Just like, okay, I'm just going to send that person over to you. I've shared everything I can. You got this. Cause you're a black woman and what I know about black women is when black women got it, it's handled. (laughs) It's handled. I don't have to worry. These are not flaky people. We are not a flaky people. (laughs) And so it's really beautiful. Hi. Yay.
2: (laughs) So (sighs) Christina, (laughs) this has been such a wonderful conversation. And for our last question, we'd like to ask you if in this moment you could be a vessel, a voice for the sacred black feminine, the the great black goddess, what would she have you say to all of us?
0: You are sacred too.
2: And so it is. Thank you so much, Christina. Mm -hmm. Can you share with everyone where
1: people can find you, where they can find your book Mm -hmm. and learn
0: more? Totally. Yep. God is a Black Woman is available everywhere in the U.S. already. Um, It'll be available in two weeks in the U.K., and it'll be translated into some other languages later this year. So it's around anywhere books are sold. I'm also going to be leading, beginning in April a virtual Black Madonna pilgrimage to all the Black Madonnas in my book. And so if you go to my website, christinacleveland.com, you can get on our newsletter list and we'll keep you abreast of that really exciting transformational journey that we'll be doing together thank you so
1: so much we'll have links to her website and her book and our show notes Uh, it was such an honor to have this conversation Mm -hmm. it just warms my heart and I just am in awe of the courage that it took for you to step into your path and so so many blessings to that and for all the unfoldings to come Mm
0: -hmm. thank you it's really fun to be here thanks for having me
2: Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. It's always a deep honor to be with you and to learn from these guests and be on this journey with you. If you want to go deeper into Christina's work, go to Amazon and buy God is a Black Woman. It's a beautiful hard copy and also an audible and if you want to go deeper with us at the global sisterhood we've got all sorts of goodies for you just check us out at theglobalsisterhood.org stay in tune with us get on our email list learn about our events and programs and come on girls let's go and continue to tune in every thursday for a new podcast thanks so much everyone big love and talk to you next week Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Global Sisterhood, you can follow us on Instagram at the Global Sisterhood, or you can tune in to one of our programs. Just go to globalsisterhood.org. It is such a privilege and such an honor to speak with all these amazing women and to continue to speak with you. If you would like to join one of our circles or programs and dive in deeper and have these conversations yourself with us, we would love to invite you in deeper, sister. So just go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more. Okay, talk to you next time.